0: this week on Hope for the Broken. When we talk about loving others sacrificially, I think we could be honest in saying that that is at times an extremely difficult task. I mean, it is hard because sometimes people take advantage. Sometimes we sacrifice and we sacrifice and we sacrifice and we feel like others take that love for granted. And so it's a challenge at times to be able to love others sacrificially. But here's the deal. We're never more like our Lord and Savior than when we love sacrificially. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called The Core. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part three, titled, Loving Others Sacrificially. Well, listen today we are continuing in a teaching series that we started a couple of weeks ago called the core and what we're doing is we're taking a look at core values of our church you know core values are the beliefs the strong held convictions that drive a people of any organization to accomplish its mission now as the church Jesus has given us a very clear mission We don't have to work hard to come up with a mission statement because Jesus has already provided that for us. And what is the great commission? He says that I want you to make disciples that in turn make disciples and you are to teach them and you are to baptize them and you are to lead them and you are to carry the torch of the gospel until I return. So we follow that God given that Jesus given commission. We also have a God given vision here at our church at Trinity, we exist to become a gospel-centered community. We center on the truths of God's word that we might see the redemption of what is broken through hope in Jesus Christ. And we strategize, we have a strategy to try to see that vision come to fruition. And we do a threefold strategy. We trust Jesus in worship. We transform lives in community, and we tell we tell others by living on mission. That is our mission, our vision, our strategy. But what are the pillars that hold those things up? What is is the the accelerator that drives our desire to see those things accomplished? And those things are our core values. Our very first core value we talked about is sharing the gospel relentlessly. That no matter what we face... No matter what we stand against uh, in terms of a of an onslaught of spiritual warfare, we will be relentless in the proclamation of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because for in it is truly the hope of the world. Last week we talked about our our desire to model Jesus faithfully, that we model it amongst each other, but we model it to a world that's desperate need of finding hope and direction. Today we'll be looking at the driving value, the core value of loving others sacrificially. Loving others sacrificially. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And I do hope that you bring your Bibles to church each week as we dive into them. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can use your phone or you can follow along on the screens. If you need a Bible, there is a Bible located in the seat rack in front of you. Those Bibles were donated to us, and so we want to pass those on to you. That is the living Word of God. And so you are welcome to take that as your Bible as you leave here today. But we are going to be focusing in on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 here this morning. And we're going to look at the encouragement that Paul lays out for us to love others sacrificially. We're going to look at the elements of loving others and the example that Paul sets before us of how to follow in loving others. So that will be our outline here this morning. You know, some might wonder, why does a church take time to talk about its core values? Isn't that more of a corporate type mindset? Uh, So why would it be important for a church to do that? Well, I think it is extremely important. Because it is our core values. When we talk about our mission, our vision, our strategy, our core values, we're talking about what absolutely unifies us. I brought today a little object lesson that I think will prove that very point. I have in this bag here a bunch of marbles. Someone said, Pastor Chris, don't lose your marbles. And I said, well, I've already lost them. So uh, here is a bag of marbles. And in this marbles, in this bag of marbles, there are differing sizes, differing colors. Not one marble represents or is exactly similar to the next marble. And uh, in a lot of ways, this represents the church. We are a diverse type of people. We come from differing backgrounds. We have differing opinions, differing views on different things. But here's the deal about a bag of marbles. A bag of marbles is only bound by the container in which it's in, right? These marbles stay together because of the container that's in. It's in this bag. But what happens when this bag is opened or this bag is ripped? Now, I thought about pouring this out all over the stage, but I was afraid our worship team might slip and fall later on. But if we were to pour this out, I mean, the marbles go every which way until it is bound by the container that it is in here in this bowl. Now, also I have here another bag, and in this is a magnet. And on this magnet are a bunch of bolts, right? Now, if we were to open or rip this baggie open, what's going to happen to all of these bolts when we turn it upside down? or we shift it around, or we even try to pull it somewhat apart, it's going to remain intact. So what is the difference between these two very things? The difference is the nature and the power that is at work in and through these objects. It is the nature of the bolts and the energy from a magnet that causes it to remain intact with one another. The marbles lack such an energy, lack such a unity, lack such a connectedness. In a church, we all come from different backgrounds. Like I said, we all have differing opinions, differing preferences. I heard it said one one time, if you have a Baptist church with 20 people in it, you have a thousand different opinions, right? We all have differing opinions, but we are unified. What is the thing that we are unified on? We're unified on the mission that God has called us to accomplish. This church is unified on the vision that we have, the strategy that we pursue, and the core values that drive us. And the Holy Spirit works in and through us to create this sense of unity so that we are together in our approach to see them come to fruition. Because by our nature... As believers in Jesus Christ, we have an energy, we have a person that indwells us, the Holy Spirit of God, that enthuses, that energizes our unity together in the pursuit of these things. It has been God's desire since the birth of the church to do the impossible, to unite a diverse group of people across all kinds of barriers that had never been done prior to the existence of the church at least not successfully. And the church has maintained this unity to carry out his mission in the world by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And we must allow these things to cause us to create this love amongst one another and a love for our community, our nation, and our world that they might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we all share the same love that is in Christ. You know, when we talk about loving others sacrificially, I think we could be honest in saying that that is at times an extremely difficult task. I mean, it is hard because sometimes people take advantage of that kind of sacrificial love that we show. Sometimes we sacrifice and we sacrifice and we sacrifice and we feel like others take that love for granted. And so it's a challenge at times to be able to love others sacrificially. But here's the deal. I want us to know this right off the top of the bat. You and I are never more like Jesus. We're never more like our Lord and Savior than when we love sacrificially. And that's the point of what Paul is getting at here in Philippians chapter 2. So let's jump in. Let's examine it by first looking at the encouragement that Paul tells us to love others. we talk about the encouragement of loving others, we're talking about what is it that motivates us to love other people? What is it that motivates us to love one another? What is it that motivates us to love even those that we would put in the category of unlovable or difficult to love or challenging to love or different than us? How do we love people? What motivates us? Look at what Paul says in verses one and two of Philippians chapter two. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort." from his love, if any participation in the spirit, if any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord together and of one mind. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if you have ever been the recipient of someone's generosity you understand the encouragement that is found in christ have you ever been in a drive-through line someone pays in front of you your meal or have you ever been at a meal and you go to check out somebody's taking care of the of the ticket my dad told me that that happened to him he was wearing his veterans hat the other day and went to go pay and the, the bill was taken care of somebody had had paid for him in honor of veterans day he didn't know who But you know what it motivated him to do? To pay for the next person, right? In a lot of ways, we see that. When we are the benefactor of someone's encouragement, of someone's generosity, what does it lead us to do? It leads us to be kind in return. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. He's driving that home. Listen, you and I have been the recipients of such great love and encouragement from Christ, and therefore, if nothing else, that ought to serve as the motivation for loving others in the same sacrificial kind of way. But he goes on, even from there. He mentions four specific motivating factors. He encourages us in four specific ways as to how we can go about loving others sacrificially. And each of those, beginning with the clause, the phrase, if, I know in my translation, if is only there one time, but it is carried through, the idea, the the insinuation of it is carried through in each of these four categories. If there's any encouragement, if any comfort, if any participation, if any affection and sympathy. In other words, if you have been the recipient of this, then love the same way. Demonstrate it the same way. Verse one says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. That word encouragement literally means to give assistance by offering comfort and counsel. Encouragement. It is the picture that is painted in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys remember the story? Uh, A a person had come up uh, upon hard times, a robber, a thief was left half dead and a priest comes walking by, and he passes on the other side of the road. A Levite comes up upon the scene, and he passes also on the other side of the road. However, the Samaritan notices the individual hurting and in need and tends to this person. But more than tending to the person, he packed the person up, takes him to an inn, pays for his stay and additional medical care. The Samaritan encouraged this gentleman by loving him sacrificially, by giving of everything that he had, his time, his resources, in order to care for this person. Have you ever been the recipient of that kind of encouragement in Christ? Maybe when you were at your lowest. Maybe when you were hurt, broken. Maybe you've even been at the end of your rope. And somehow, even in that circumstance, you sense the presence of the Lord ministering to you. I know that that is my testimony. There have been oftentimes where I have felt down and out, discouraged, but you sense the presence of the Lord and him reminding you that he is near to you. It's an unexplainable peace. You know what that is? It's the encouragement in Christ. Paul is saying, if you have any encouragement in Christ... Even the smallest amount of encouragement in Christ, then extend that. Love others so that they may experience what you have shown. The love of the Lord has shown us and has served as motivation for how to love other people. If there is any encouragement, that's number one, he says. Secondly, Paul says, if there is any comfort from love, Now, the word translated as comfort carries the idea of speaking closely with someone. In confidence, a a dear friend, someone that is by your side, having the opportunity to go to them and to share with them exactly what you are experiencing. It's very similar to the previous word encouragement, but here what it is emphasizing is a closeness of relationship. A closeness of relationship. Someone that brings help in your time of need. Can you identify maybe someone or people that have come to your aid? People who have been there in your time of need, people who have lent a listening ear, people that you are able to speak closely to. Listen, God is that for us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, scripture says we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Paul says later on, he says, or Peter says, cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. God is that that is close to us, even in difficult times. And being attended and loved by God ought to serve as motivation, encouragement for us to love others in the same way. Thirdly, Paul says, if there's any participation in the spirit, any participation in the spirit, Now, in my Bible, the word spirit is capitalized. That's because it is a personal name. It's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And he says if there's participation in the spirit, means that there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that at the moment of our salvation, when we bow the knee to Jesus, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, when we accept him as boss of our lives, then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And when the Holy Spirit is in the believer and dwells the believer, he guides and he directs the believer. And he produces certain things in the life of a believer. Things that could not be produced within the flesh. Galatians says there are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Paul is driving home the idea that if you need motivation to love others, just simply listen to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, I would argue this, that it is impossible to have the Holy Spirit dwell within you and not love other people. It's because God is the very presence. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God in our souls. And for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. If you do not love, you may not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But if you do have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, you will love others, even sacrificially. The fourth motivation, he says, comes in the phrase, if any affection and sympathy. If any affection and sympathy. The word translated as affection... Means to care so deeply that you feel it in your bowels. That's the literal idea behind that word affection. It's a deep, an emotional kind of love and care. You know, this is exactly how much God loves you. In fact, it is the same word that is used when Jesus looks upon the crowd and he sees them as helpless, as people without a shepherd, and it says that he is moved. With compassion, Jesus feels it in his gut. He loves deeply, so profoundly, so entirely that God was moved to demonstrate his love by sending his son, Jesus, and by taking our place, our sin, our shame. He displayed the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. The enemy might try to whisper lies to folks. And I know he he does this because I encounter it all the time. He whispers lies to folks saying things like, you can't be lovable by God. You are so far gone. Or you have committed the most heinous of acts. How can God love you? But let me tell you something. There is an empty cross, an empty grave that proclaims God's love for you. Talk about sacrificial love. And so Paul provides four points of motivation here. He said, if you are so loved, you're so cared for, you're so provided for, I've given you the Holy Spirit, then we have no other choice but to be motivated by that very fact, those very facts, to love others in a sacrificial way. So we see the encouragement to loving others. And the second thing that Paul mentions here in Philippians 2 are the elements of, Of loving others. So we have the encouragement to love others. Now we have the elements of loving others. And when I talk about the elements of loving others, it's the how we love others. I think he gives us three specific ways by which we are to love others. Let's look at verses four, three and four, as we see these things. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let me show you the three ways that I believe Paul mentions here. Ways that believers are to show God's love. First is selflessness. We are to be selfless. Paul says do nothing. Not one single thing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, if you are going to display true love, it has to be completely devoid of any gain. Because then it ceases to be love, right? It's not a selfless act of love. Then it's for some benefit that I might receive. Paul says, no, you've got to be completely selfless. The idea of selfish ambition here in the original language is someone that seeks followers Someone that does something in order to gain something from you. Thinking some sort of politician maybe, right? But we are to be selfless. But selfish ambition and conceit describes a person that is constantly seeking personal gain. He said this should no way, shape, or form describe the believer. To love others, we must empty ourselves completely of any benefit that we might receive in order to position ourselves to love them sacrificially. That's hard at times, isn't it? I know it is for me. But you know, I think it's fitting that Paul begins with this. If you wanna love other people, you gotta do so selflessly because all sin is rooted in selfishness when you think about it. I want you to think about the very first sin, the world, Adam and Eve is there, right? The only instruction they're given, is not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But what do they do? They are tempted by the enemy. And what is the comment that Adam and Eve make? Hmm, looks good. Will nourish me. I think I know better than God, and so therefore I will partake of the fruit that God has told me not to. It is selfishness to think that we know better than God. If you and I are going to become the people and the church that God asks us to and desires us to be, then we got to empty ourselves of ourselves. We ought to be a people marked of selflessness. See, Selfishness says we don't have time to minister to the other people. They've got too much issues going on. Selfishness causes us to turn away and to pass by on the other side of the road. Selfishness causes us to hold on to financial resources that might, in turn, benefit others. That's selfishness. But selflessness? Selflessness causes us to say, you know what? I may not have the time, but I'm going to make time for the hurting. Selflessness compels us to run into the mess of other people's lives. Selflessness says that that person can use this resource more than me, and that, beloved, is Love in action. Paul says the first element of loving others is to be selfless. Secondly, Paul says, in humility. In humility. We're not to pursue selfish ambition or conceit, but we are to be humble. If we're going to love people sacrificially, it requires humility. And that means that we don't think too highly of ourselves. See, humility is the opposite of pride, it's the opposite of arrogance. Did you know that in the Bible, humility is the dominant characteristic that marks God's people? It is. Every time a, a character in the scripture is celebrated, they're celebrated because of their humility. Think about it in the Old Testament, Moses. Now, I know he wrote this. <laughs> So it kind of nullifies it, but it was God writing through him, right, that he was the most humble man who ever lived, right? He was marked by humility. He was not the most qualified, we know. He certainly wouldn't have been our choice for a leader, but yet he was the most effective leader. God used Moses in powerful ways. The wisest person that ever lived, King Solomon, wrote a book in the Bible called Proverbs. He came to know and understand the power of humility, in his life. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.19, he says, it is better to be of a lowly spirit, to be humble with the poor, than to divide the spoil with the proud. The Old Testament is full of the examples of humility. The New Testament is too. Jesus chose a bunch of ragtag, uneducated, young misfits. Nobody had them on their radar. They weren't in the queue to become massive leaders, yet they turned the world upside down by starting this thing called church. Right? God uses the weak. He uses the humble. We must be selfless and humble. The third element of loving others is to be others focused. Paul says this, he says the exact words count others as more significant. I want you to hold on to those two words more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your interest, but to the interest of others. Those two words, that phrase more significant, literally means to consider others as superior to yourself, to consider others as superior to yourself. If you're going to love others sacrificially, you have to value them. If we don't value them, then we'll not desire to serve them. But what do we do with VIPs when VIPs enter the room? Oh, man, we move heaven and earth to make sure that they are comfortable, loved, and connected with. Essentially what Paul is saying is this, I want you to see every person as a VIP, a very important person. Why? Because God sees them that way. Jesus sees them that way. Now, this is not devaluing ourselves. It's not not saying that we have to have this low sense of self-esteem so that we can esteem others. That's not what, what the Bible is getting after here. Instead, it's placing others in a position of value. It's choosing to see them as important. Your customers in your workplace, do you see them as important, valuable? Your family, do you see them as valuable? Your neighbor, do you see them as valuable? The homeless on the street, do you see them as a VIP? This is the idea that that Paul is driving at. And listen, this is not natural, is it? It's, it's completely against our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to constantly play the comparison game, isn't it? Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or we, we've got it more together than them, right? At least, we're, at least we're okay. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, I want you to look at them that is not okay and consider them very important. And when you consider them very important, you will love them sacrificially. One way that you and I can see others as more important is to think about our own struggles more than the struggles of others. Listen, I know I'm a sinner. If you knew 90% of what went through my head, you would ask me to not be your pastor anymore. And when I remind myself of that, man, everybody all of a sudden has equal footing to me, Right? this is this is the requirement in order to position ourselves to love other people sacrificially so we've talked about the encouragement we talked about the motivation we've talked about the elements the ways that we can love others sacrificially now let's look at the example of loving others after paul gives this like jab of if you have the holy spirit then you ought to love people and then you better not be conceited like he's 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 poking jabs, right? This is not amen. This is ouch. Then he pulls out the trump card, right, in this conversation. He's fixing to win any kind of debate by talking about the example by which we follow. He points us to Jesus. <laughs> We've talked about the specific ways we can love others. Now let's look at verses 5 through 8. And I want you to pay attention to the ways that, Je- uh, that Paul says Jesus fulfilled the very elements On the cross. Now, this, this section of scripture we're going to actually come back to in our Christmas series because there's rich Christology. There's rich incarnation type teaching here, doctrine that we'll dive into as a part of that. But the main idea that I want to t- focus in on today is that Jesus is our example of loving others sacrificially. Here's what I want to do I'll, I want to highlight a few things in this passage. First, he says that we are to have this mind. We are to have this attitude. What attitude is that? It's the attitude. It's the mind that we have in Christ Jesus. And listen, hear me. When we come to saving faith in Jesus as Lord, we're not only surrendering our lives to him, we're surrendering our minds and our hearts to him as well. We surrender the totalness of him. And by doing so, we actually take on his mind. We take on God's heart. And that causes us to see people the way he sees people. Christians are to think like Jesus. We are to see people like Jesus. We are to live like Jesus. And when we allow the mind of Christ to fill our hearts, we can't help but love people because Jesus loved them. So let's look at the three elements that we talked about earlier and see how Jesus embodies them. First, verse 6, he says, Though he was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Do you think that that is selfish ambition or conceit? No, it's the exact opposite. Jesus never used his power. Oh, he had it. Fully God, fully man. He never used his authority for a personal advantage. And the word translated grasp means to cling to. Jesus had every right to cling to his equal standing as almighty God. But he loosened his grasp on that. Not seeking selfish ambition or vain conceit. He emptied himself of that. He he embodied love in this position. Second element of sacrificial love we learned is humility. Humility. Verse 7, Paul says, in the first part of verse 8, Paul says, Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. Here's what happened. Jesus, when he stepped down out of heaven, by by the way, just a little bit of teaching here. Jesus has always been. Jesus was not created at his birth. Jesus was always already Lord at his birth, meaning that he was preexistent. John says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. That's referring to Jesus because then the word became flesh. So Jesus is God preexistent in God. He is the second person of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal with almighty God. Yet he divested himself of his rights when he took on flesh. In other words, he gave up the glory that is rightly his. And he came to earth. And more so, he didn't just come to earth. He came to die on a cross. Talk about humility. The God of the universe, in flesh, hung on the cross, humiliated, half naked for all the world to see. But this is the greatest display of love. And this is our example. Thirdly, it says that Paul took on the form of a servant. Remember, we learned that the element is to be others-focused. Well, what does a servant do? Really, in reality, this word is better translated as slave. Jesus became a slave. His whole life was about serving others. That's others-focused. A slave in Paul's day could own nothing, had to perform the worst of tasks, was required to carry physically and emotionally other people's burdens. That was the job of a slave. And Paul says that Jesus became a slave. Now isn't that unique? The person who created the universe, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, took the position of a servant who could own nothing. The person worthy of being praised... Rightfully, could even demand it of people, stoop down to serve. Jesus lets us in on, on exactly why he's doing this. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is to be others' focus, to be humble. Furthermore, it says that he became obedient. The most other-centered act that Jesus performed, in my opinion, is found in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the night before he was crucified? He's sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That that has a tendency to be a self-focus. But then he shifted real quick to other focus. He says, yet not my will, but your will be done. Beloved, we've got to make a shift from focusing upon ourselves to focusing upon others. And when we do so, we follow the example of Jesus. The cross is what we deserve for our sin. But Jesus took it. For God so loved the world that he gave Sacrificially, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's my challenge to you this week, Trinity. What is one way and who is one person that we can demonstrate the sacrificial love of Jesus to this week? Now, you may say, just one, hey, love a hundred (laughs) people. That'd be great. But I want you to just be focused, who is one person that you can show the sacrificial love of Jesus to this week? And how can you do that? How can you go above and beyond to love them sacrificially? You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to TrinityTX.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.